You're listening to the HR Happy Hour Show with hosts Steve Bowes and Trish McFarland. Since 2009, the HR Happy Hour Show has been bringing you thought leaders, workplace and technology experts, academics, and more to take on the most important and interesting topics impacting work, human resources, technology, and the workplace. Learn more and listen to all the show archives at www.hrhappyhour.net. Welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show with Steve Bose and Trish McFarland. Trish, what is the one item you are secretly hoarding in your house? Oh my goodness, that is a great question. What am I secretly hoarding? I know we're all out okay. there stocking up. There's something you've got a stash of, I have a feeling. Okay. There, the there, there is something I have a stash of. Hold on. Uh, can I bring in, can I call, can I phone a friend? I have a phone friend, a friend here. Do it. Phone a friend. I would like to bring in my daughter, Carly McFarland, who is now homeschooling with me. Carly, say hi to the audience. Hi, everyone. All right. So Carly is like in the background listening to your question, whispering, because she has an answer that was not my answer. So I'll let her go. Carly, what right, am I holding? Really? Candles. They're everywhere. <laughs> Big ones, little ones, every room. She has two on her desk right now. There may be more. They're like five in the kitchen, quite a few in both living rooms. Got some in my room. Yeah, we got a lot of candles. Do I have a candle? Uh, oh my I, God. I, I love that answer because I'm a candle person myself. And. <laughs> I am down to one candle, one like halfway burned out candle. So yeah. Up. I could use a care package of candles probably. So. Okay. We actually just stocked up at Yankee Candles. So, oh, yeah. I so I get, okay. That, that's interesting. See, that wouldn't even have been my answer. My answer was going to be kind bars because I have a whole stash of those. Um, specifically, any kind bars that have cranberries in them, dried cranberries. I'm like, total sucker. And, I just noticed this morning, I have an awful lot of the um, dehydrated marshmallows. Dehydrated marshmallows. Now, what is the usage of a dehydrated marshmallow? Oh, my goodness. You can, the kids put them in their cereal. You can put them in hot chocolate. Okay. Eat them on their own, whatever you want to do. Yeah. No, we have a cereal bar with like uh, all different kinds of cereal, like Cheerios, all different flavors of Cheerios, and then dehydrated like strawberries and marshmallows and granola that you can sprinkle in your cereal. So, all right. Yeah. What are you hoarding? Now I'm so curious. I, I think I probably have too much of, I probably have too many jars of like jarred pasta sauce. Like I, <laughs> I, I have probably like four jars. I live alone too, just FYI. Like there's like, it would take a long time to, it's a lot of pasta eating, right. To get through that. I was surprised when I, I did go to the grocery store, like pretty much everyone in the USA who's, mm-hmm. um, under lockdown, I went over the weekend to stock up and uh, my little store was well stocked and uh, I was able to buy just about everything I needed, but, uh, but I forgot to buy candles and I would, I should have now that now I'm kind of kicking myself because I typically am a candle guy. So I'm short on candles, long on pasta. That's, that's the situation right now. You know what? I think you made the right choice because I will tell you, I don't normally shop. I do most of mine online um, and just have it delivered. And so um, I went into, there's a Walmart by us and I normally don't go there, but like the entire aisle of pasta sauce was empty. 
Wow. I grabbed literally the last jar of pasta sauce. And it's like some random brand I would never buy. But then I'm thinking like, those are the kinds of staples they say you need. You need pasta, rice, you know, things like that that can get you by if this goes longer than what we anticipate. So yeah, a smart one here. Absolutely. We can uh, talk some more about this. I have a feeling, Trish, unfortunately, for the next who knows how many shows we're going to be talking about stuff like this. But um, hopefully everybody, all our listeners are hanging in there and doing well, safe, happy, healthy, secure. It's a crazy time. And, and we've done a couple of coronavirus shows. We're not going to really hit on that today. We've got actually a show we love to do. Um, we're going to do a Workplace Movie Hall of Fame show today. And, and we, we get requests for this one all the time. So yeah. hopefully we'll add to people's um, ability to escape Corona for at least 30 minutes. A little bit, sure. Before we get into the show, Trish, uh, let's thank our sponsors. Um, Absolutely. Um, we are sponsored by Paychecks. And if you are not familiar with them, Paycheck makes it simple for businesses of all sizes to pay and manage their employees. They make payroll easy and automatic, which is super important. And they also handle benefits programs. Paychex guides businesses through their human resources challenges by keeping them up to date with the ever-changing laws and regulations, online and mobile, over the phone, in person, or any combination of the above. With Paychex, they work with you the way you want to work. And you can learn more at Paychex.com. All right. And so many thanks to them, especially in times like this, uh, a company like that, reliable, safe, secure, will keep your business running as best as they can while you're trying to keep your own business running. Uh, They're going to do the job for you. So thanks so much to our friends at Paycheck. So Trish, Workplace Movie Hall of Fame. We're talking about one of our, I think, mutually favorite movies we've seen in the last couple of years, the documentary 2019 American Factory. This was... Uh, documentary that came out on Netflix about a year or so ago. Uh, and it's the story of a factory in Ohio, a former General Motors automobile plant that had been shuttered in the last recession, 2008. And in late 2014, early 2015, a Chinese company, Fuyao Glass Company, they buy this gen- closed General Motors assembly plant in Dayton, Ohio. And we're going to turn it into a glass factory. There's, there's the supplier of windshields and automotive glass to the automotive industry. And the movie is basically um, the telling of the tale of the Chinese uh, ownership and all the Chinese workers who come in and their interactions here in Ohio, in middle America, and the interplay between the Chinese culture and the American culture, Chinese work ethic, American work ethic, and kind of and how that plays out over over the next few years in the stories of the American workers and the Chinese workers and what happens to this planet. It's a, it's a fascinating documentary, Trish, on so many levels. Um, and, and, and maybe, you know, since we both have been in China a number of times and have some experience with with some of these issues as well, is more even kind of poignant, I think, for me, at least anyway. Oh, I agree. I, you know, for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, or if you're not someone who typically seeks out documentaries, obviously now being possibly indoors for the foreseeable future. Um, this is definitely one worth watching. Um, it actually was the winner of the Academy Award for right, good point. Um, for best uh, documentary feature, which, you know, for anyone who's listened to our uh, Oscar show, you know, we, we liked a lot of the documentaries. So actually, I would say any of the documentaries that were up for the, um, the Oscar this year would be ones to to go back and sort of seek out. But American Factory, I think you're right. I think what really kind of hit home for me, and we can dive into this more as we talk, is that 
you know, there are real substantial differences in the cultures. And when you're talking about a global organization um, and how you come together with workers in the United States and workers in China, there are certainly inconsistencies. And for all of the best intentions, which I think, you know, as the movie kind of starts out, it's very upbeat. It's very, you know, people are very glad to be having jobs. I I was, you know, I, I rewatched it because we had obviously watched it before um, for the other show. But, you know, when you think about the way that these workers in Ohio really lost everything, they kind of um, highlight a few of them. You know, people lost their, their cars, their homes, and really kind of their whole identity. You know, these were the jobs they had had their entire working careers. And for that to all vanish, it was a very positive thing to have, um, you know, this Chinese company come in and basically sort of be saving them. That was at least at the beginning of the, of the, um, the movie. Yeah. I mean, this, think about 2008, 2009, and sadly we're thinking a little bit too much about those days now and and recalling them maybe with what's going on uh, currently, but, um, so many factories had closed. So many people were out of work. Millions of Americans out of work as a, as a result of uh, economic crisis and recession uh, back then. Um, factories shuttering all over the place. And uh, in many of these places in middle America, like Dayton, Ohio, that uh, these factories and the you know good, solid, pretty well paid, honestly, for the most part, for for medium skilled jobs, medium to to moderate skill jobs were really high paid. They were, they were able to uh, have pretty good lives and, and, you know, have middle-class lives, have houses, have cars, hopefully send their kids to school if that's what they wanted to do, et cetera. Like it was a pretty good, safe and secure life. And when a factory like this particular plant, when it, when it shuts down, there was nothing coming in after it, right. To replace it. That was going okay. to provide, you know, economic opportunity to the level and, and to the, uh, the depth, right. That those plants had, had once provided. And so, that you were looking at communities like this one where, yeah, the opening of, of the factory under new Chinese ownership was seen as, oh, my God, this is going to this is really going to revitalize our town. And we really need it desperately. Right. I believe they quoted they had lost um, approximately 10,000 jobs when the plant closed. And at least when this plant came in, I don't know what their final number was or if they even tell us, but um, it was around 2,000 jobs were created Mm -hmm. and they made reference to wanting to hire for more. So I'm sure they did. But again, not to the level of where it was. Um, The other kind of surprising thing that I didn't recall catching the first time I watched it was that these were workers who were making, you know, $29, $30 an hour um, before and they wound up making twelve to thirteen dollars an hour. So, I think there was some, you know, just some level of you're grateful you have a job, but then it's it's so far below what you were making that you can't even possibly get back on your feet. So, a lot of the people who had lost their homes were still living with family, or still living in very tiny apartments, you know, tight quarters, and yeah. it was still very difficult, even with a job, it was still very, very difficult. Right, right. So ultimately, from what I read, Trish, by the the end of the film's arc, which is about 2018-ish, when the film kind of chronology ends, and even up until now, I did did poke around a little bit before the show, they're employing about 2,200 US workers still, and about a couple of hundred Chinese workers still working there too. And, And I think that's kind of, for me anyway, What's most interesting about this movie 
is the cultural interplay between mm-hmm. the Americans who um, come back to work at the plant or back, maybe is not the right way to say it, but come to work at the plant, many of whom were former General Motors workers at that same plant and the uh, Chinese, both the, the, the workers that, that come in, the couple hundred workers that are basically imported in um, to help train all the Americans. And then particularly the leadership uh, from the, the Fuyai glass factory at the beginning of the film, and we set this up a little bit without giving away all the spoilers. And again, this is on Netflix. I absolutely recommend watching it if you haven't uh, streaming, streaming on Netflix. But um, the beginning of the film, they set it up and they make a really important point to emphasize that it's an American company, right? There's the guy mm-hmm. who, and I'm not recalling his name, but there's a gentleman and an executive at Fu- Fuyai Glass America, an American guy. And he makes that point early in the movie that, hey, we're an American company. Yeah, we have Chinese ownership and we're we have Chinese workers here, but this is an American company. And, and that's a very like uh, uh, it's a point of emphasis and a point of pride even. And, uh, and most of the leadership at the factory, the local leadership are also Americans, the executive team. Mm-hmm. And pretty early on in, in the movie though, we start to see tensions starting to bubble up between um, the Amer- both the American leadership and the Chinese leadership from Fuyao, as well as the, the workers on the floor, the American workers on the floor, and the Chinese workers who were coming in to help train them. And that tension to me and the cultural tension to me is that's the story of this movie, I think. I think so too. I will say, it. I think what I'll probably say can go both ways. So from the perspective of the movie, obviously this is an American perspective, right, on the, the cultural differences. And so one of the things... Um, I made note of was that the very beginning, they, the Chinese leadership, um, even during lunchtime or, or whatnot, they separate the Chinese workers so that they're all together, they're eating together, they're being spoken to as a group, um, they're being given a presentation around what he called the American sense of casualness. And some mm-hmm. of the things he said, um, and and I will say this, he said it in such a way that these are derogatory things. Okay. He said, they can talk about the president. Uh, he said in America, you can let your personality run free as long as you're not doing illegal things. Right. The cars are big and comfortable. They don't place importance on their outfits and really <laughs> went into great detail on how we dress any way we want. And very casually, um, we can say what we think directly. We don't hide anything. Um, were practical and realistic. So the very things that he was sort of pulling the Chinese workers aside to say were not good things about us, which really probably stuck in their minds. Those are the very things that we would probably say, oh my goodness, that's, that's absolutely right. We are very proud of that, right? We can say what we, what we think, um, right or wrong. We're very practical, very realistic. We can dress how we want. We can drive what we want. You know, so right from the start, I think that that separation instead of instead of the two leadership teams kind of coming together and figuring out like, okay, you know, like like I said, we could flip this, right? Right. We've China, we've we've seen sort of the way that the the workers are there up close and personal, and we might say it's very rigid. They are very um, militaristic. They are instructed on what to do at every moment, and you know. And we would think that is a negative, whereas they are perfectly happy with that. That's the way that they work. Yeah. So I just felt like neither side really did anything, even from the very beginning, which mergers or acquisitions are hard enough anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
but to bring in a company with the culture so drastically different and make what appeared anyway to be no inroads to to build a bridge it was just like doomed from the start i sort of felt yeah and that's a i think that's a great point i i do you do see as this movie plays out throughout um, the introduction of, of the chinese some of the chinese practices and approaches and mindsets and the tension that arises between the differences in our thoughts about work and our approach to work. And it's not, honestly, Trish, I wouldn't say it's not even just about the differences between what typical Americans and typical Chinese think about work. I think there's even a more abstract layer here that's playing out, which is, and again, since we've been to China a lot and probably have thought of, I've thought about China a lot more than probably most of the people, you know, who just work here in America, but I think it's hard uh, in America, we value the individual, right? It, it's it's land of the free, right? Home of the brave, the individual, right? The the right. individual freedom, expression, all the things you were talking about. Um, it's hard for us sometimes, I think, in just normal Americans, you know, average Americans, to relate to a culture where, like the Chinese culture, where often the individual is seen to be considerably less important than the institution that they might be a part of, right? It's, it's, it's really wildly different that, um, that the way they kind of think about things. And it's, it's, I guess it's a good reminder in a way too that the way that we think about that, that um, individual versus institution kind of trade-off, that's not necessarily the way everybody thinks about it. Like that's not necessarily the only way to think about it. And in one of those sessions you were talking about, Trish, where they kind of take all the Chinese workers aside during their lunchtime and they're, mm-hmm. they're trying to teach them about American culture and American work ethic and how to, how to deal with the Americans, right, who they right. often see as kind of slow and a little bit lazy and, and entitled would be a, another word I would say, mm-hmm. is the chairman of the company, the guy who founded Fuyi Glass, you know, billionaire Chinese executive, who's an interesting character as well. Maybe we could talk about right. him some more later. But he uh, he comes to the plant several times during the course of the movie. And at one point he's making a, a speech to the Chinese workers and he's just rallying them like, hey, you're not just here to do this job and to get paid and to feed your family or send money back to China. You're and you're and you're not even just here for Fuyai Glass, right, to make Fuyai Glass successful. Mm-hmm. You're here to represent our entire country, the motherland. Right. He's giving yeah. this rallying speech almost like they're, you know, um, a conquering army, right? To some extent, like you're, you, you're one little small part representing how the whole world will consider China. Like that's, it's so important. He, and, and he believed it. And I think he, I think for the most part, the Chinese workers believed it too. And, um, and that's just not how we think about like our relationship to work, our relationship to our organization, and quite honestly, our relationship to our country. I, I just don't think Americans typically think that way. Oh, I agree. I think that we, we like to be able to have our say and we feel that's what is value to us. That's, that's very close to our hearts. And so to, again, it's not, it's not that either, either country is wrong in their approach. It's successful in both ways. It's just a very drastically different way to be raised. I I did feel, you mentioned the chairman. It was interesting. He is quite a character. Um, You know, he was constantly wanting, you know, cosmetic changes, to the factory, for example, that didn't meet regulation or code. He was, you know, um, constantly talking about um, the fact that we were uh, slow, that we have fat fingers, that we are inefficient, <laughs> that the output is low. So in a way, though, it was like he he would rally 
the Chinese and in the very next breath sort of be tearing down what he might have just accomplished, right? Instead of telling him like, hey, we brought you in to represent and to go and and to work with these American workers and really, you know, represent us well and be successful. He then like, you know, one step forward, two steps back was the way I kind of looked at it. He just tore it right down. And so if you're hearing those kinds of, this is true in any culture, right? If If you have a leader in your company who is tearing down whomever, it makes it very difficult for you to then work with that person or those people or that, you know, that industry, whatever it might be, um, mm-hmm. words matter, you know, they, they also, I, I wanted to get your take on this because one of the things that I wrote down when I rewatched it was um, he makes a comment at one point saying, when we try to manage them, they threaten unions. Mm-hmm. And my question for you is, what does the word manage mean in different countries? Yeah, that's a great point. Like we, we use that word manage. And the other word I wanted you to think about or maybe comment on is transparency. Throughout the entire movie, they sing about transparency. They sing about the struggle and difficulties leading and wanting a transparent world. I think the words manage and transparency mean different things in America than they do in China. But yeah. what do you think? What's your I would agree. I mean, the, the managed part for sure, my, my, my interpretation and my impression is, is that should be translated more to direct or order, right? Or, we're, 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 we, start, we think about management in the, you know, here in the U.S., especially in the last couple dozen years, right? We're thinking much more about management as mentorship, guiding, coaching, um, developing. That's a great point, right? We we don't necessarily think of management strictly as telling people what to do. And I I do think in the context of a a Chinese manufacturing plant, even one that's here now in America, it's essentially a Chinese manufacturer. The the management is essentially, you know, dictating orders and and trying to uh, get uniformity, Right, process efficiency, um, standardization, right, and elimination of errors, et cetera, et cetera. Some of the tension parts or the flashpoints you see throughout the film, and I think we do need to talk for a second too. By the way, about the union thing, because that's that's the main narrative arc of the movie is the, this situation with the potential introduction of the union. But some right. of the other flashpoints in the movie involve just small things, right? That the Chinese workers, specifically the just the, the normal kind of shop a floor supervisor types, not even the leaders necessarily are mm-hmm. getting frustrated with what's kind of slowness of American workers and errors and things breaking and frustration. Uh, why won't they, there's one really compelling scene. And during one of those um, uh, Chinese team meeting lunch meetings, one of the Chinese rank and file workers, just a normal guy looked like who worked on the, on the factory floor, just loudly complaining, like, why can't we just tell the Americans to work on Saturdays? They don't come in on Saturdays, you know? Oh, right. Just, just tell them, make them work Saturdays, like things like that. So the, the, that tension is just never seems to end throughout the movie. And, and I guess that's what leads, leads the, um, and of course, then there's some other, look, there's different standards around the world for all kinds of things in, in work and society and culture. Certainly there are elements that are suggested and some are shown where, um, some of the safety standards and the workplace kind of standards we're used to here in the U S where 
maybe less emphasized, right, by the mm-hmm. uh, the Chinese leadership or who were who were operating this factory. So there, there was some tension around, you know, working conditions and things like that 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 was bubbling up as well. Ultimately, uh, a group of the American workers in the factory decide that they want to see if a union can help them. A union can help them get better working conditions, maybe better wages, maybe more of a say in how the factory was going to be run, et cetera, et cetera. But it's Steve, interesting. I was going to say, I don't give it away though, because I don't want to give away the whole. Yeah. I, I, I want people to watch the movie. <laughs> but that's, that, that to me then becomes, that's when the movie, we sort of, we get introduced to these two cultures. There's culture clash, right? There's, there's personal clash, there's cultural clash, there's, uh, you know, management versus leadership clash. And then, which culminates in, you know, Hey, we've got to figure out the Americans do anyway. They said, how can we, how can we make things better for us? And, and, and that's kind of the second half of the movie really is what, what happens right down that, um, down that story. I think the other thing I'll just throw out there for me too, was it's a documentary. It's got a lot of people in it, right? There's a lot of people working in this factory. We, we see a lot of them. We meet a lot of them, but to me, the two, you mentioned the chairman, right? The two characters we kind of, I think, in my opinion, we get to know the best, uh, and they're not characters, they're real people, was the, the chairman of, of Fuya himself, right? right? And then the one uh, supervisor, the, the Chinese supervisor, his name was Mr. Wong, and he was mm-hmm. kind of a young guy, but he'd already been working in the Fuyai glass factories back in China for over 20 years. And uh, they spend a lot of time on him as well. And I, I bring him up only because uh, I like that the fact that the documentary doesn't paint every single person under this broad brush or this broad stereotypical brush. Like he was the least of the, that's shown in the movie, the one Chinese worker who seems to really develop more curiosity, affinity, appreciation um, for the, you know, the people that he works with, uh, the Americans that he works with. And you, right. you we also see him as um, kind of a sympathetic figure as well. Right. Um it's easy to have a movie like this say, oh man, these, these hardworking, you know, Americans now have to work in these really, really tough factory jobs for half the money they used to make, you know, which they do. But this poor guy's got like a wife and two little kids halfway across the world. And he's committed to two years working in Dayton, Ohio, in a tiny little apartment living with four other guys who work at the factory, right. And, and working six days, 12 hours a, a day on this furnace, and and he, it just I just feel like it, it it does a good job of kind of humanizing this the, the story a little bit, and he's in I think that's important as well if we think about how are we ever going to learn more about each other's culture? We can't just see each other as just I don't know broadly written stereotypes. We need to sort of try to get past that and know each other as people. I agree. I think we as the viewers see that, but I don't think the workers saw that. I think there were a few where you see instances of them kind of crossing over group-wise where they all went, not all, but where several went fishing together, for example, and they were trying to communicate that way, or they were, you know, um, saying they would have barbecue together or whatever. So you did see some of that, but, you know, wouldn't it have gone a long way for, um, for the American workers to know that people that were coming from China were living four or five to a very small apartment away from their families for two years, you know, working much longer hours than what the Americans were working. Um, It doesn't make the American situation better, but I think it would have given them both a sense of that there was something that they were giving up in order to get this going. And that, once successful, you know, uh, Fuya 
said at the beginning, you know, they were willing to pay workers more once they kind of got things up and running and, and successful. So whether or not that's true or not, you know, we won't know. But I, I just felt, again, there was such a barrier, which there, there's an actual language barrier, obviously, where anytime you're going through translators, right? With the again, with the best intentions, I mean, we've done that firsthand, right? You still you still don't get the nuances of language, of conversation, of emotion that you do when I'm speaking directly to you and you understand. And then when Mm -hmm. you sort of layer in, think about how as American workers, we struggle with our own teams all the time, right? We're not, we're not perfect communicators by any stretch, right? We have differences between genders and age groups and ethnicities and religious backgrounds. I mean, you name it, right? We struggle already with communication. So now add in communication from another country and then men and women. And that like, it just, it's the complexities really need to be thought about well before you start, you know, taking on a project like that, I think. That's why this movie was such a good movie. I think that's why it's, it wins an Academy Award because there's, there's many layers to it. There's many important kind of work, culture, kind of global economic kind of issues. It, it, it challenges you to think about without compl- without trying to tell you what to think, right? Which is, I think, another thing why I liked it a- as a movie. And but also certainly just illustrative of some of the just primary and still this movie is only a couple of years old, right? Many of these challenges and opportunities that are going to be presented to uh, particularly American workers are still real and they're still apt. I mean, like, oh. the, you know, I've been talking a ton this year and last year about reskilling, right. And upskilling and trying to figure out how um, companies as well as, you know, our society helps people continue to compete in the labor market and be relevant and be employable and, 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 you know, continue to be able to provide for their families. And this movie really speaks to a lot of those issues, right? It's, it's without this investment coming in, in this particular community, right, from Fuyao, even if it was suboptimal compared to what these folks used to have from a workplace environment, like if, without that, many of them would have probably just been on long-term unemployment, maybe disability, maybe even assistance, who knows, right? They would have, maybe some of them would have just disappeared, right, from the workforce, Um And those are awful, awful outcomes as well. They are. I think that what I love about not just this movie, but many that that pop up at the Academy Awards time of the year, they're movies that really do make you think. They might not be the movies that you would see a preview and think like, oh, I want to run right out and see that. But, you know, again, we're not giving away any sort of ending or, I mean, you know, there's so many nuances in this movie that people can can come up with lots of ideas, but obviously we've seen it now multiple times. We're both, I would say I don't have any strong opinion either way. Like it just makes me think every time I watch it, I don't know that I come up with a resolution and maybe that's the good thing. It's, it's very open, open ended to me. And I will say that, you know, the executive producers were Barack and Michelle Obama. Right. I love that too, because when you think about people that, helped shape our country for many years, right? Uh, During his presidency, but now even afterward, right? They're still, they're still bringing stories to the forefront for us to think about, but without telling us what the outcome is 
or what telling us what we need to think about that. It's yeah. just the fact that we need to pay attention. This is an important thing to pay attention to. And really, if I, you know, I've told both my teenagers, I want them to watch it because their generation is the one that's actually going to be seeing even more of this interaction in the future between not just China and the U.S., but many countries. Oh, I mean, just we don't ha- you'd have to remind everybody what's going on in the world today to know that that what happens in one tiny little far flung corner of the world the impact it can have on the entire rest of the world. And then it's not even an understatement to say it. We're living through it right now. And um, there's one last thing I just throw out there on this movie, you know, you know, we're, we talked a lot about it without giving it away, but the the one thing I did, I I did recall, I watched it again as well the other night and I I was looking at some notes for the movie. As I said, I think the chairman of Fu Yao is kind of the character we seem to get to know the best throughout the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, from his speeches, his interactions with his leadership team, his interactions with the employees. And, but, but mostly from like one scene, a quick little moment of reflection where I'm not going to read what he says exactly, but, but, you know, he's this kind of Chinese billionaire factories all over the world. I believe that honestly, I think the Fuyao factory, the Fuyao glass factory in America is the largest automotive glass factory in the world right now, by the way, this is, this, this is an incredibly successful company. But he has a moment of reflection to say, like, I wonder if I'm I've I've really done right in my life. He's an older gentleman. Right. I'm not sure exactly how old he is, but he makes a little speech about kind of missing the old days, missing, missing the countryside, missing nature, missing, you know, and he wonders about his own contribution to the changes in China. Right. And industrialization and pollution and what's become of it all. And, And but he doesn't necessarily say oh i've done it all wrong i've wasted my life I've, I've lived a bad life he just wonders though and 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 i think that's a fitting way to kind of for me anyway that's how I, i'm left thinking about this movie it's just really thinking about it and wondering um there's not a good guy or a bad guy there's not a wrong or a right it's 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 just like the rest of the world and in much of the modern world it's 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 gray and including this own gentleman's kind of contribution to 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 what he's done in in uh in industry in china so that's i mean again i love the movie but uh, I think uh, an important movie as well for folks who want to just understand a little bit more about um, really a little bit more about the second largest economy in the world and, and one of our most important uh, trading partners and, you know, which is not going to change. I don't think anytime soon. Right. I will say too, I think if anyone has ever had a curiosity about the Chinese um, workforce and how proud they are, of their companies, of their country, of the work they're doing, um, why they they make the sacrifices. Like I mentioned, they talk a lot about sacrifices and difficulties leading to better future transparencies. I wish this had existed before you and I had ever had an opportunity to speak in China because yeah, while we got over there and it was definitely a culture shock in, in such a, in a beautiful way, right? We we were treated every time we've been to China to various parts, Hong Kong and and Zhuhai and Shanghai. I think you've also been to Beijing, maybe, yep. right? Yeah, um, Beijing once. Yeah, it's it's so much about what I would maybe call like the pomp and circumstance, right? It's about having your governmental leaders. First of all, having a government role in China is seen as such a highly prestigious thing. We don't always value that here. Um, if you have a government job, it's a very prestigious thing. And so when we go as visitors, as guests of the country and of the businesses, you know, they bring out their 
all of their government officials from, you know, from that area and welcome us. And it's, it's very formal and with, you know, speeches and music and videos. Uh, do you remember some of the elaborate videos from Zhuhai, oh, yeah. for example? Remember about, you know, the, just the economic growth and opportunities. And um, so they're very good about, in this movie, showing that side of China. I think that alone, if for no other reason than to see how proud they are. We -hmm. sometimes hear just what we hear on the news, right? And that's whether you're watching Fox or CNN, it doesn't matter which angle. Um, It's both, right? We see the spin that our media puts on China, that these are bad, horrible people sometimes, and they're, you know, they're communists, and they're this and they're that, right? All the things. Um, Yeah. Well, I think, yeah. Happy. Many of them are very happy, and we've seen that firsthand when we visit, and they're very proud. Yeah, I mean, I think there's uh, what's really is kind of remarkable about this documentary is that, look, we're all kind of familiar as Americans, as as people who follow work and workplaces. This is an HR podcast, right? We're talking to people who think about the world of work all the time and and live in it. We know what we think about China as a competitor, uh, Chinese people as workers. We have an idea of, even if it's informed or not informed, maybe it's from the news, as you said, Trish, from whatever source you get it from. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting about this movie is, and kind of astonishing in a way, is a lot of this movie is going through the eyes of the Chinese workers and managers and leaders and what they're thinking of us. And it's just not a point of view we typically get to see here in the United States, right? right? We're not most of us don't consume a lot of Chinese media, right? Or Chinese um, right. Uh, documentary films, right? It's an American film, but it's largely told through the point of view of, of, of the Chinese company and the Chinese workers. Not completely, but largely. And it's, it's a view we almost never get. And I think that's important as well. Maybe the most important, you know, if I, uh, if you say, what's the most important thing about this film and why I think you should watch it? it, it maybe it's that. I agree. It's very realistic. I didn't feel like it held anything back. I felt like it was absolutely reflective of the experience that I've had in, you know, I think four, maybe four trips to China. Yeah. So. And we didn't even talk about it. We won't because I think it's people can watch the movie and, and see it themselves if they haven't. But there's a great little vignette in the movie where a team of eight or 10 of the American uh, managers um, yeah. go over to the Chinese factory and are hosted there. and Just like that. Do- yeah, they tour the plant and they go to the, the 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 company party, which is kind of a wild scene, and again, very reflective of some of the events we've been to over there. And um, uh, that's a, a really good telling point in the movie as well. So I don't know, Trish. I I think we've, I feel like I've said enough about this movie. I, I love it, and I highly recommend you watch it. I'm glad we were able to talk about it on the pod today. Maybe at least for for 25 minutes or 30 minutes, stop worrying about quarantines and, and viruses. This has been that's nice. Great. That's right. Well, I'm glad we talked to you again, everyone, please go watch that movie. And while we're all in, uh, whether it's, you know, self-isolation or, or full on quarantine as, as things develop, definitely check out those other, those other documentaries that were, um, you know, for this year's Academy Awards, they were all really good. Yeah, it was a great maybe, slate. Maybe something different to binge on really. Um, you know, I think they were, there's some good ones out there. All right, Trish. I think we'll put a wrap on it here. Um, Workplace Movie Hall of Fame. I love this series. I think, again, we'll probably have to We'll revisit. We'll take suggestions for the next movie, maybe. Think about it. You can shoot us a note or tweet at us at HR Happy Hour. 
We also must thank our uh, friends at Paychex one more time. Paychex makes it simple for businesses of all sizes to pay and manage their employees online and mobile, over the phone, in person, any combination of the above. Like we said, you, you, times like this, you need, you need providers you can count on and you can, you can count on our friends at Paychex. So you can learn more about them at paychecks.com and many thanks to them. All right, Trish. I think we're out. I want to have some lunch, I think. I'm ho- I got to go into my pasta stockpile, maybe. Sounds good. I guess I'll be going to smell a candle. Light a candle. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. Until you can't eat candles. Time. All right. Uh, for Trish McFarland, my name is Steve Bose. Thank you so much for listening to the HR Happy Hour Show. We will see you next time. And bye for now. Thanks for listening to the HR Happy Hour Show your source for information and conversation on work, the workplace, technology, and more. Learn more and listen to all the show archives at www.hrhappyhour.net.